Welcome to uh, our evening service. As we gather to worship, we're going to begin with uh, a reading together, which is a prayer of praise from Psalm 105. So we're going to stand together and say these words, and then after we've uh, said them, we'll sit down and then have our first hymn. So let's stand as we read. These are, there are two slides, and we'll read all of these words. <clears throat> Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. 
and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Bible, please turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 11 of that chapter, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in times like this where our lives have been so disrupted and there is much suffering, we thank you that we can come to a Father who understands our needs, a Father who is compassionate and a God who knows what it is to suffer as we do because as we have just read, God took on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death on a cross. And so we read in your word how you are able to sympathize with our weaknesses because you have suffered as we suffer. And there are so many different levels of suffering at the moment within our church family. And we lift one another up to you and we ask for mercy in our time of need. We pray for healing for those who are sick. And then as your people those who are sick, that they would know the love of you, their God, and the love of your people. We pray for those who are seeking work and for those whose businesses have had to close. Father, would you supply the material needs of these brothers and sisters? We pray for those who are lonely and isolated. Father, would you provide the sure knowledge of your presence? And would they be able to have fellowship with your people, with phone calls and walks and and such things? We pray for those who work in our public services, our teachers and emergency service workers, who are weary and burdened with their workloads at the moment. Would you provide them with the energy they need And enable your people in those places to be good witnesses for you amongst their colleagues. And for all of us, Father, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in as your people, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus and have in our hearts the sure and certain hope that is found in him alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our next song takes the words that we've just been reading in Philippians chapter 2 and puts them to song. Yeah. 
If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to carry on from where we were this morning, just in the very next verse, uh, verse 34, and down to verse 40. So I'm going to read those words to you, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is God's word. In 1967, the year of the so-called Summer of Love, the Beatles brought out a song, All You Need Is Love. The song says, all you need is love and it's easy. And you can make a case to say that this is exactly what Jesus is saying here, right? It's what he speaks of in this passage He's basically asked to sum up uh, the commandments, uh, and Jesus basically says, all you need is love. But where Jesus diverges quite radically from the Beatles, and you can see this if you actually read the lyrics to the song, all you need is love, is in two ways. First of all, what Jesus means when he says love, because the Beatles don't really define it. And secondly, Jesus never, ever says that this is easy. In fact, the love that he's talking about here is quite the opposite of easy. The kind of love Jesus is speaking of here is an all-consuming love, which consumes our whole being. You could call it total love. As this morning, we're still in this section of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus is being challenged by the religious leaders, Uh, we come here to the final one of those challenges. They want to undermine the authority that he has shown when he came into Jerusalem on the donkey and turned the tables of the temple upside down. And we've seen Jesus challenged by all sorts of groups, the chief priests, the elders, the Herodians. And this morning, we saw the Sadducees. And Jesus, as we've gone through this, we've seen him demolish all of their challenges to his authority. And now come the Pharisees themselves. In an earlier debate, we saw them send their disciples. Uh, in verse 15 of this chapter, uh, it was the Pharisees, or rather in verse 16, who sent their disciples to Jesus But now they realize no one else can trip him up. We are going to come ourselves. We're going to sort this guy out. And so in verse 34, we read that they get together. And in verse 35, they find a lawyer among themselves, an expert in the law, to test Jesus with a question. This man, being an expert in the law, would know it really well. And the Pharisees are confident that he would be able to tie Jesus up in knots with his uh, scholarly and loyally uh, question and loyally ways. And so in verse 36, we have a question, and again, it is at the time a controversial one. Teacher, they say, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, this kind of question was debated by the religious leaders a lot. Rabbis had calculated that there were about 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 
and there was much debate over which ones were more important than others. And there were some which were weightier than others. Just like in our criminal justice system, the punishment for murder is going to be very different from that of not paying a parking ticket. But for Jesus to decide on a law which was the most important would mean that he would belittle some others which also were very weighty. And then the lawyer could get Jesus into an argument, tie him up in knots, and make him look like he didn't really know what he was talking about. Well, that was the plan that the Pharisees had anyway. But as always, Jesus' answer is brilliant. In his answer, Jesus shows us that God didn't give us commandments so that we could have debates over which is the most important, but rather all of God's commandments, all of God's word is really a call to total love of him and of our neighbor. And so total love is first and foremost a call to love God with all of yourself. Uh, Jesus speaks in verse 37, if you notice there, of loving the Lord your God. And that verse, actually, is a quote from the Old Testament law from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. It is known uh, as the Shema and was quoted by Jewish people every single day. And as far as I know, uh, lots of Jewish people still every day quote that verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. It was a vitally and is a vitally important verse in their lives, and everyone would know this. But it's worth defining what Jesus means by the word love here. Because in English, we have one word, love, that can mean all sorts of things when we say it. So I love playing squash. Haven't been able to do it for a while. But I also love my wife. But when I say those two things, I hope you would understand that I mean very different things when I say that. Now, in the Greek language, there were many different words for love. And the word of how I would love my wife is a different word from how I would love playing squash. So there are words for how we would love our friends. There is words for the kind of erotic love we have for our spouse. And the word Jesus uses here is the Greek word agape, which is a self-giving, purposeful love. It's not devoid of emotion, but it's not based on emotion. It's a love that acts in the best interest of somebody, regardless of how you feel about them. Now, when Jesus says about loving God, of course, we're not looking out for God's best interests in the sense that he, he doesn't have any needs. He doesn't need us to love him. But he is talking about the self-giving aspect of agape love. We give ourselves to God fully, totally, not because he needs us, but because he deserves it. He deserves it. He's worthy of that love because of who he is and what he has done. And we see that in the way that Jesus describes God here. He is the Lord your God. So think for a moment of who God is. He's the Lord your God. He is God, the one true God the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, unchanging, eternal, glorious God. Because he is who he is, God deserves our total love. But then also think of what he has done. Again in verse 37, we see that he is the Lord your God. The name Lord is the personal name of God for the people of God given to Moses before Moses was used by God to free his people from slavery in Egypt. So this God, the, the God of, of all over all things, is the Lord. 
the covenant-keeping God who delivers his people because he loves them. This is your God, the Lord your God, the God who loves us, the God who frees us. And it's worth pausing just for a moment to put this in the context of the whole New Testament as we think of how we are to love God in this way. Because Jesus is this God, isn't he? We read in the first chapter of John that Jesus is the word that is God. That all things were made by him. That he is God made flesh. flesh. So Jesus is worthy of all of our love, our self-giving love, because Jesus is this God. But Jesus also is the Lord our God. He is the God who frees us from slavery to sin and gives us eternal life because he loves us. So Jesus is worthy of all of our love. Jesus is this God. And Jesus calls us to love God totally. That is to give him all of ourselves. Notice in verse 37 how many times the word all is used. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The heart, soul and mind refer to the whole of our being. So the heart is, if you like, our commitment So think of that phrase, wholehearted. The soul is our affections and the mind, our wills. So we're to love God with all of our being, every part of our life, internal and external. The God who is worthy of it calls for a total, complete love of himself with every aspect of all of our being. He owns everything. He has given us everything and he calls us to use everything for his glory. So do you love God in this way? Does your life show a total love for God? Well, I know that none of us, me included, could say that we love God with 100% of all of our heart, soul and mind. But is it your desire to love God in this way. When you read these words from Jesus, do you want to love God like this? Because that's how a Christian ought to desire to love God and be striving to love God, even though we know this side of heaven will never be able to say we fulfill that commandment perfectly all of the time. Think about your time and priorities. Think about our finances and possessions. Think about our affections, the things that we love. Do these things reflect a total love for God? Do you love God with all of yourself in all of these areas? Jesus says this is the kind of love for God that is the first and greatest commandment. Nothing is greater than this. A total love for God that encompasses our whole being. But we do have to be careful with this verse or these verses because if the commandment is left at just that, we can kind of live our Christian lives in a kind of God and me experience. I need to love God uh, and God loves me, and uh, it's, all, that's, it's all about me and him. But Jesus links another commandment to this greatest one to make sure we know how we can love God in a total way. In verse 39, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. So it's another part of the Old Testament law. And Jesus says that this is like the first. What he means is that 
it's linked to it. You cannot obey the total command, the, the command of total love of God without obeying this second command. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. And this is repeated throughout the New Testament, uh, often by the Apostle John. So in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21, he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And when Jesus uses the word love for our neighbor, it's the same word meaning of the love in verse 37. That self-giving love that is outward looking. Now verse 39 has been misused a lot to show how we ought to love ourselves. So people say, how can you love your neighbor unless you love yourself? You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And so first of all, you've got to love yourself. Well, if we read this verse and the first thing we think about is how to love ourselves, this kind of, it plays into the kind of narcissistic tendencies of our age, the, the selfie mindset. Now, of course, there is an element where we do need to love ourselves in terms of caring for ourselves. We are called to take care of our bodies and all those kind of things. But that's not what Jesus is really talking about here. If we, if we think of love in this way, where we, we start with ourself, then we won't love others because loving others involves sacrifice of self, doesn't it? No, what Jesus is saying when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, is this. He's saying, you know the way that you tend to love yourself. You know the way that you find it easy to think about your own world and not look outwards. Well, turn that inclination to love self outwards to loving others. Uh, as an il illustration, on our uh, phones... There are, uh, most of our phones have a camera on it that faces two ways, don't, doesn't it? The camera has a, a way that faces you so that your face is on the camera, which is where we take the selfie. But there is a button on the camera that is called switch camera. And it then turns the camera the other way so it faces outwards. And what Jesus is really saying here is push the switch camera button in your life so that it starts looking outwards at others rather than just looking at yourself. Because our tendency is for the selfie. Well, what does this look like? Well, Paul again fleshes it out for us in Philippians chapter 2, which we read earlier. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Again, it's looking outwards, looking for, for needs and stepping up to supply them. It is self-giving in a self-obsessed world. And we are called to love our neighbor, but it might be worth thinking for a moment of who is that? Who is our neighbor? Well, neighbor means near one. So you could say that this refers to anybody loving anyone who God brings across your way. So that does refer, of course, to our relations or people in our homes. They're near to us. Loving our spouses, loving our children, loving our siblings, loving our parents in ways that look out for their best interests and not your own. Many a home would be a much more harmonious place if the members of that household started looking beyond themselves and out towards the needs of others. 
Our church family are our near ones, even though perhaps we feel far apart from each other, but we are still near ones, neighbors. And we shouldn't come to church or even uh, have church at home merely to just spectate and take in. Rather, as a member of the church, we should be seeking to give and look out for the needs of others. Your work colleagues are near ones. What a witness to the love of God you will be if you love your work colleagues with the kind of self-giving love that Jesus talks of here. Your local community and and next-door neighbors are near ones that you can look out for their needs and seek to supply. And our neighbors don't have to be even near us physically. God brings near to us, especially today, uh, online, people from all over the world that we can help. Uh, He brings missions that we support as a church, for example, and individuals that you can support if you uh, just do a bit of research, for example, and ask God for guidance. And Jesus even teaches us elsewhere in the New Testament, especially in the parable of the Good Samaritan, how even our enemies are our neighbors, and we should love even them too. This means that you cannot say that you love God and then treat your neighbor, which is pretty much anybody, like dirt. Loving God and loving neighbor with a total love that is all-encompassing are the same thing. So far, though, perhaps we haven't been all that specific. Maybe we have, I'm not sure. But Jesus gets even more specific in verse 40. He says this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he gave his answer. But now he says that all of the law... Basically, all scripture, all of those commandments that you Pharisees want to debate, they all hang on these two commandments. What he is saying is this, total love fulfills God's word. The commandments in the Bible are all, in one way or another, about loving God and loving others. In fact, the Ten Commandments are great uh, examples of this. Uh, We begin with loving God through the commands not to worship other gods, no idols, honoring his name, keeping his Sabbath. And then we see how we worship God through the commands to love others by not killing them, being faithful in our relationships, not lying to them, stealing or coveting what is theirs. And then all of the other laws in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy really are linked back in some way to these Ten Commandments. And so all of the law really comes down to love God, love your neighbor with a total love. And so really it's pointless and and silly to debate which ones are most important because if you're not fulfilling any of them, You are not loving God and you are not loving your neighbor. And so what we have from Jesus is not some vague, all you need is love, but rather this, all you need is love and love is keeping all of my commandments. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So to love God and love others, we have to know what God expects of us by reading and applying God's word to our lives. Uh, Kind of linked to this, there is, by the way, on the back table, a Bible reading plan for this year, which will take you through the whole Bible in a year. And as you read that Bible, you will know what God expects of us as we read his word. And so I encourage you to take one of those, take it home. You're not too late because it's the 3rd of January. The plan actually starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, So take one away with you 
and read God's word so you can know how to love God and love your neighbor. Now, you might think this doesn't sound very loving if you think of commandments as drudgery. But actually, as we saw when we studied the Ten Commandments last year, that God gives his commandments for our freedom and joy and flourishing. They are God's way of showing us what we were made to be. At the end of last year, as I was reading the Bible, uh, I got to the, uh, the books of Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles, I came across a verse that really struck me that links to this. Now, king Asa was a king who was reforming the kingdom of Judah so that that kingdom would turn back to God. And this involved opening God's word and reading the commandments. And listen to what, God, uh, what the chronicler says. He says, They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And I just thought that was a lovely description of how rest is found as we eagerly seek God and seek him eagerly through his word and applying it. The Pharisees were a self-righteous bunch, but even they might have shied away from saying that they've kept all of these two great commands perfectly. And all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, look at what Jesus says here, and we know that we have failed, don't we? We've not loved God or others with the total love that God is demanding here. Which is why the gospel means good news. We cannot fill God's requirements and we deserve God's judgment because he is worthy of our total love. And that's why Jesus came. That's, he is our saviour. He is the word of God who shows us what love is. He loved his father with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his mind. And he loved his neighbors, you and I, with a total love. A love that was totally self-giving and took him all the way to the cross where he died for us. And on the cross, he took all of our sins, as he loves us with all of himself, so that we can be forgiven. And when we are forgiven, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives us supernatural power to live and love in this supernatural way. And with God's Spirit inside of us, working in us, we can seek God eagerly, and we can find rest on every side as we follow his ways. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now the Beatles might say, It's easy. Jesus actually says it's death, but it's also true life. We die to self so that we can live for him. Now, this is the first Sunday of 2021. New Year is often a time to make commitments. And there is no better way to start a new year than to assess our lives as Christians and to see how we can love God and love others with this total love. And I encourage you to do that. And then move forward by loving God in this way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus has first loved us. Well, our final hymn uh, looks to Jesus, the one who first loves us and sings of his amazing love. Mm -hmm. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you.